Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to What That Old Queen a candid and adult take on queer life quandaries at a certain age. So please listen at your own discretion. Presented by Bernie and Tommy, their views are their own and in no way reflect those of any service you may hear this program on. Now, let your ears be upstanding for the <coughs> old queen. Hello and happy Christmas and we hope you're not too full or too hungover from your Christmas shenanigans on this Boxing Day release. So this episode isn't quite what we had planned. We were going to do a Queermas Quandary episode and have a little posse, but unfortunately COVID and the pandemic and general cold and flu got in the way. Unfortunately, Tommy's still recovering from from a flu-like virus, which isn't COVID, but he's not well enough to record this week. And we also thought it prudent not to be socialising indoors at the current time when Omicron is raging around the UK right now. So we'll save our Christmas episode for Christmas yet to come, but with kind permission from the lovely John Thomas, who recorded an episode for us last February, we have a little extra special treat for you. Only released on Patreon so far, which means two and a half people have listened to it. This is the general release of the only ever episode of What That Old Queen Dethroned. It's part of the Zoom call that we had after we finished recording. We talk a lot about It's a Sin, uh, the HIV pandemic because that was all very prevalent at the time. Drag Race, season 13. Season 2 of UK Drag Race, because that was also current back then. And we talk a little bit about the pandemic, because we were in lockdown in February 2021, and it looks like we're heading there again 11 months later. So if you've ever wondered, what happens when we stop recording? Let's go back to February 2021 and listen to the only episode of What That Old Queen Dethroned.
<laughs> thank you everyone for listening John thank you for being our guest we will catch you next time on What That Old Queen hello 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 well we'll wait for the credits to roll and then we'll okay we'll carry on talking uh, which I think is just about now thanks John that was, that was great it was a pleasure. It's so nice to see you both and have a chat as well. Yeah, it's good to see you too. I did, um, back in the summer now, I did a bit of extra work for my friend Sadiq's film, The Chosen Haram, about, he's like a pole dance, he's like an aerial pole dancing artist. And it was a stage show that he was making before this time last year and then turned it into a film. But I was an extra in a club and I had to be in leathers cruising in the toilet, basically, with my, my cameo moment. Um, and then he sent me some of the images and I was really confused briefly because they looked exactly like the photos from the horseplay um, <laughs> cruising leather party. <laughs> Amazing. Maybe to the back. <laughs> That's that. I think that has to be my favourite party. Yeah, apart, from, apart from Eve Klein Blue, obviously. I mean, that was a seminal creative moment. I feel in my my um, career. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, in all of our careers. Yeah. I don't think I was at the blue one. Uh, I can't remember that. Well, uh, what, what me. Neil Studley and John on stage naked. I don't remember, I, which makes me think. I mean, I saw the pictures, but I don't think I was there. Maybe you blanked it out. <laughs> not like, unless you were in like the front two rows of people watching it happen, it wasn't really visible or... Mm. So you might have just been there, but socialising. Yeah. Um, I was probably smoking in the yard yeah yeah blink and you'll miss it <laughs> i loved about the, the cruising one was i think because it was in the cinema and it was all it just felt more anarchic somehow like, even though like the the old police station wasn't a club it somehow felt more like a club space whereas the cinema just felt like you were having a, a party in with like, but like you know like, not a house party but like definitely having a party where you shouldn't be kind of thing mm. yeah yeah, and I, I remember from that night feeling like I'd completely dressed up in a way that was a bit alien to me. And then they were told, I was told that I needed to dance on this podium. And I was like, I don't really know how I'm supposed to do this. I've never done this before. And then something came over me that I just felt like a different person. And I just performed that role. And I felt like, great that I did that. I, I felt like I was completely in a role. Mm. Because... I was dressed up in that leather gear, which I felt really empowering. And also people didn't recognize me because I was wearing a hat and dark glasses and people were having like conversations right in front of me. And I was like, hello. <laughs> and they were like, oh my God, it's you, Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's what I kind of loved about it. And the fact that everybody, apart from like one or two people, made the effort to dress up. It, it was just, I think it was a real moment in, Brist in the Bristol gay scene because I, d I don't know that there's many nights that would, would be like that one. And I remember yeah. walking into that bar in the, and they were just playing 70s disco and everyone's dressed up in leather and dancing to disco and it just felt like being in New York in the 70s. Yes. I've, I've been reading Dance of, from the Dance, um, which is all set in like late 60s, early 70s New York in all of those bars. And it, it, it's got such a wonderful feeling about, about the whole book. 
Um, and it, it kind of, it feels almost like a halcyon time of being gay at that mm. moment, you know, before HIV, yeah. before all of that, and, and just everyone just being quite free with their sexuality and having fun. And, and, and I, I almost feel like HIV kind of made that step back a bit yeah. in the 80s. Yeah, who was I having, I think this chat with someone and they were like, did, it, did HIV advance gay rights or did it hold... Hold, hold it up and one person's view was like oh I think it made people be more angry and protest more but I think I feel more like actually it, it gave more ammunition to kind of evangelicals to really say like well look these are these are not good people um, yeah yeah I think so and, and that's the difference between that pandemic and this pandemic isn't it because this pandemic is literally affecting everyone you know you can't blame it on a fringe element of society and pretend it's not gonna it's not really happening to the rest of them yes. you, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so it's not I mean I'm sure there's still evangelicals who are saying that this is our retribution for whatever mm-hmm. but yeah I, I don't know I think the positives of the, the HIV pandemic was that it, it it did make people a bit more aware and it did it did bring kind of the gay community to the forefront in a way perhaps in a bad way to start off with but also I think ultimately it was positive what's great what what I, was the for me an unexpected turn about it's a sin was like a sort of the straight son of the woman that looked after the house that the Welsh guy lives in first of all yeah yeah you just get an insight into that life just by the mother walking through the hospital yes yeah you have what I think you're further than that's three three. is that three is it because I was going to say I didn't know if you because there is that thing where it reveals that it was her son that actually gave him HIV yeah so no, that is in the third one. Uh, yeah, that's why I found it so hard because I just immediately I fell in love with that Welsh guy, and and I and and I was like, well, it, well, he will be fine because he's just been completely sensible, which is a really stupid thing to think. Yeah, but that's that's the thing. It only takes like one. It was like playing Russian roulette if you were having unprotective sex back then, mm. you know. But it, the, you know, the death wasn't instant. It was like <laughs> elongated suffering. And yeah, you. I think you do get that impression, and I think that's why it was quite good that he did. He did get HIV because, you know, it just shows that it's not just people who are having loads of sex. And I and I like the fact that a lot of those guys that were having loads of sex didn't get HIV as well. It's just, it's like, this isn't a thing. This isn't slut shaming. Mm. This just is a thing that happened. Mm. Mm. The mother was, the Welsh mother was gorgeous as well. She was really good, yeah. um, really well represented mm. as, uh, as a good parent. Mm. And I think that a lot of us have had pretty bad parents in terms of our sexuality. And yeah, I mean, you were saying that your mum giving you sex education. I mean, I literally had nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I was told, I think my mum told me once that she said, well, you know, there's straight people who are fine and then there's gay people and that's that's not very good. And then there's bi people and they're the worst. And that was the most sex education I got from my mum. And I, I was just like, I don't, really, I don't want to talk about this, mum. <laughs> <laughs> so and I and I've having seen the whole thing and I don't want to give the game away but I think there's a certain character that doesn't get re- retribution and I'm and I think she is like the personification of that society at that time of an older generation and 
yeah, I think she was dealt with really well uh, and she she shouldn't get a retribution. I think in the show, it's like, it does do that thing of like, it sets up in episode one, I guess, this like wonderful queer kind of like, um, well, call it queer, but I guess it's gay, really. Um, kind of paradise they're all young they've gone to uni they've escaped small town homes and gone to London and they can dance and party and just walk into a job in a bar but then so much of the story does feel like it's about their relationships with their parents and, and with Jill the straight friend yeah it, so from that point of view it doesn't really that, yeah there's definitely like a separate queer story that doesn't involve all those parents um, yes it would have been the case for a lot of people I think mm. and that's the shame that they had to kind of go from their new family back to their old family that didn't really understand them yeah um, and that's and that's such a shame now I think I think people with HIV get a lot more support now from friends and it's not this shut off you, you're absconded back to your what was it her, his agent says there's a lot of there's a lot of young men who are going home you know yeah. I don't want you to go home and uh, yeah it's yeah I mean I moved like 200 miles to to come out so <laughs> I can't help but think about my show King's Cross Remix when I think of that programme yeah because it's the same stories really Yes, but you, and you, but King's Cross is really told from the perspective of being in that scene mm. at that time, and from from people who had friends and lovers and and advocates as well of that time. And I think I think that's that's what's really beautiful about that show mm. and really touching as well. I mean, I cried at that. Yeah. So. Well, I said to die, and I was on stage. <laughs> yeah, there's something there is I think like something of the 80s really not being that long ago but now feeling historic yeah and, and there's a day and I think because I guess like a lot of gay culture is, is has an obsession with youth so it's very much forward looking all the time and is a bit like reticent to look back unless it's to do with like campness and like yeah. comedy or, or the aesthetic of the past yeah, so in a way, this does feel a, it's a sin, does feel a bit like a sort of like, okay, well, we're just going to do this now. We're going to look back, and it's maybe something that we need to consider a bit more. Yeah, and I think it's timely because, you know, it's telling a story of the AIDS pandemic amidst a global pandemic. It's really interesting because I've had like cousins who I haven't spoken to for years kind of message me out of the blue because mm. they've watched wow. It's a Sin. Well, that's what I mean by saying it's sort of this program for heterosexual people really. yeah and education that, for them and them kind of messaging me and going oh my god i had no idea what this was yeah. like for you back then wow. i wish we were closer i wish i could have been there for you yeah and what um, i want to know is like when i was young there was this opportunity to you know because i was sort of from a working class background you would, you could be propelled into, you know, going to that sort of flat that's that beautiful, like flat on the on on the South Bank or wherever it is. And, and you know, I was often in sort of situations like that. I don't know. I don't know whether that still happens now. Well, do, do you mean the one that was overlooking the the, river, the, the really posh flat? The, the, yeah. Uh, I think I think you're right. That was the other thing that I was I was remembering from that 
Um, well, yeah, I think because uh, Matthew Austin did a tweet about it saying that he loved the first episode and I think Dame Anna, Anna Rutherford responded saying that she thought that the parties looked boring mm. and I was just like actually the parties were not boring back then and th- it, there was very much a culture of house parties and all sorts of people would go you know be straight mm. and gay people there especially in Bristol and I, and I feel like the house party kind of <laughs> scene has really disappeared in yeah. kind of recent years uh, but it was it was very prevalent back in you know the, the 80s but maybe it's an age thing maybe we're just not getting invited to those parties I mean I think I feel well this making a generalisation for me when I was a teenager and maybe early 20s a student in London there was a bit more of a like I have no money so I'm just gonna like see whether I've got a fiver let's see where the night takes me kind of thing so yeah. you might end up somewhere terrible or somewhere amazing whereas I guess as you beca- you establish your friendship group you're a bit like okay this is the circle that I move in now which mm. you know you don't get you taken out of like, we'll go to the Phoenix that's where we'll see everyone kind of thing or like these yeah. are the places we go but there were a lot more gay bars and I mean everybody used to go out there weren't any apps back then the internet yes, wasn't a yeah. thing so if you wanted to meet people you had to go to a gay bar or a club yeah. or cruising or to a party yeah I also think house parties have kind of been replaced by like for gay men by chill out culture now which is not even the after party just just like I think for some people the chill out starts 8pm on a Thursday or a Friday well during the pandemic and just happen whenever but obviously then you're not going to have women or um, it's going to be a much narrower like guest list yeah based on because it's more based on like I guess like sexual preferences but certainly even if you're just chatting with people and 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 rather than having sex it's not going to be that fun thing where you meet like a fabulous lesbian or like yeah um this like 60 year old matriarch who lives in this amazing kind of like gothic mansion is just hosting all these queer kids because she loves how fabulous they are like which i kind of thought that's the kind of party that i sort of remember where you're like you you kind of just meet these incredible characters yeah and it's a yeah totally rather than a everyone sat in their pants experience I mean, it's all very much of that student-y kind of age, isn't it? I guess those students are still having parties and stuff. Mm-hmm. We're just uh, we're just on the uh, <laughs> the other side we of that. Like <laughs> we different parties. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, or, or we wish we were. Like, <laughs> just... um, go to any party right now, you know? <laughs> if I could, if we're allowed to, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think ultimately that, that that show is, I think it's been good, to be honest. Yeah, I, I can understand people kind of criticising yeah. it, but it, as you say, it's not going to be all things to all people because yeah. nothing ever can be. Like, I think for me, like, I you know, it was very emotional watching it. I don't, it's not like, I'm not someone who's like, wow, I've been seen or... Like, I, think, I also feel like the production values were a bit low it looks like it definitely looks like it was made in Manchester not in London <laughs> um, yeah I think what I thought it was weird that the guy is from years and years and also Russell T Davis show was called years and years like that's weird isn't it yeah 
it was a weird dovetail that <laughs> I don't think means anything, but it's like it's quite specific at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, oh yeah, because we watch. There's a couple. There's a sort of group of queers that we all watch Drag Race together, and then we get on Zoom and chat about it. No. Nice. And then we're like, "Oh, he's from years and years." And I was like, "What the TV show?" And I was like, "No, he's in a band." I don't know who any of the bands are these days. Yeah. But yeah, so years and years a bit. I mean, they're a queer pop band, aren't they? I didn't know yeah. that. You say. Uh, well, yeah. he, he is gay. I yeah. Think but, but I think the songs are quite queer, aren't they? The oh, yeah, lyrics. Yeah, and stuff, he, yeah. he likes the lyrics, so they're very gay. So yeah. they're very queer, and uh, and I think he's a good spokesperson for, like you know, or advocate in the community. Oh, I think what's good about the TV show is I think it sparked loads of conversation. Um, mm. So actually, it could have been, and actually, it's good it sparked conversations about what's left out. Mm. So even if a straight person who like doesn't really know about AIDS in the eighties watches it and gets a bit of an education and then texts their cousin to be like, oh, I had no idea. Like, yeah, and apologises. <laughs> I didn't really know what to do with it. It was just like, well, that's how it was back then. But, you know, there was a lot of me not sharing my sexuality until I was 30 with my family. So, you know, it was it, it's not really their fault. But, but in a way, it, it kind of is because I wasn't in an environment where I felt I could be open. Completely. Whereas if one accepted. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like, I don't know whether, I'm sure it wasn't, well, it's hard to imagine it being intentional, but the fact that its release is like so close to national HIV testing week has been great in terms of publicity for that because the two dovetail quite nicely. Even if the show isn't educational in terms of like, you know, thank goodness HIV has changed in the last 40 years or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think Tom is right. It does definitely feel like it's been made for a straight, for the straight a, female eye, as it were. A, a straight palette. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, what, whatever works, I think. You know, if it's making people more aware of what what we went through back then and, you know, increasing HIV awareness now, that's, that I think is, is, is a win-win, really. Yeah. Yes. It's a win-win. Yeah, we didn't talk about Drag Race. We should have talked about... Because we've got double Drag Race. I know, it's great, isn't it? Um, it does feel like one of the things that's keeping me alive until you... Yeah. <laughs> I used to hate the whole thing. Now I'm just, like, into all of it. Yeah. I it's, sort of almost know their names. Right. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's like, quite early on. Yeah. And also, Rosé, who uh, is in the American one, when I went to New York for my 50th, she came into um, Blazing Saddles when I was there. And uh, I, mean, I didn't speak to her, but she was there and she Yay. was announced as being like drag royalty. What do you think of Rosé? I think... <laughs> that she's really polished and she's there and she thinks she should win, but it's all very controlled. And I think she needs to kind of let loose a little bit. Mm. It's all a bit safe. Mm. And I think she needs to be a little bit unsafe. That's what I think too. Yeah. It's <laughs> vulnerable having you to win. Um, I, th- I think so. You need to, well, you need to break out a bit and it's all a bit controlled and a bit, yeah, there's a veneer there where actually we need to break through and 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 find yeah. the rawness of that person. So let's so say Rosé. So the last two seasons of US Drag Race, I've known 
Queens, which has completely changed my way of watching it because three three years plus ago, it was like watching cartoons or like something yeah. very, very far, like, because it's just kind of so larger than life. And then um, Rosé is one that I met in New York. We've kind of made online friends since. And then Candy, I worked, Candy Muse, I worked with while I was there too. And she was like incredible, but like such a diva. Um, yeah. But then, yeah, then it's suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, there are some real people. And I it does change it when you know them a bit. So, do you know anyone from the British one? I, I, the only one I know is um, Ginny Lemon. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I, I think Ginny's got quite an interesting story. Um, Joe Black, did you know Joe Black? I mean, I think I've seen them probably, but yeah. I think it's a shame that they went home first yeah. episode. They're quite shocking, and there's been lots of talk about that on online and stuff. But um, I, I don't really know them myself. I thought it was a bit harsh that they went home. But they do. They are sort of on that point of very old school drag and new new wave, aren't they? Yeah. I could see why. But it's interesting watching American and UK in parallel and how different it is. Because the thing is about UK is quite campy. It is a bit panto. It is it is about personality. It's about personality and humour and not about being pretty and fashionable. Whereas America is all about being pretty and fashionable with the kind of humour tagged on. And if you've got all of it, it works over there. Whereas over here, it's not, it's not quite the same. You can't be, because there's no pageants over here. So we don't have those pageant queens. So it's, it's a very different pageant in Folkestone though. Did you? (laughs) It was bizarre. Yeah. It was so bizarre because it was all straight people. Right. And then there was a just table of queers that were there. Uh, and it was in this massive hotel in Folkestone. And and it was basically just, we were watching a beauty pageant. You know, that was all it was. Yeah. Uh, with with drag queens? Yeah. Wow. So, so there is a pageant kind of scene yeah. over here. Okay, I didn't I didn't think that was a thing. Yeah, Whereas I mean, it's, it's massive probably, in America. Yeah. It doesn't sound very big, but it's in Folkestone. <laughs> yeah, it's probably pertaining to those those very specific how dare you I'm a man of Kent Folkestone's the place to be in Kent <laughs> <laughs> I think a problem with I was thinking this actually I thought UK Drag Race was a bit more like fly on the wall as well in terms of the filming yeah the, the, the um, acting by the contestants whereas US feels very like controlled mm, yeah. much self-aware and like tits and teeth and on for the camera Drag Race feels like it's a modelling competition yeah. And, and drag certainly here isn't a modelling gig. It's a, well, it's, a, it's a live performance gig. Yeah, it's based on America's Next Top Model, isn't it? So, yeah. it, but it does have that performance element, and that's what I love about it because it, it you have to be good at so many different things in order to succeed in drag. You know, you do have to be a good seamstress. You do need to know about fashion. You do need to know about makeup. But you also need to be able to act, and you need to be funny. You need to sing, and you need to dance, and you know, and not everyone's going to be good at all of those things. And um, and I think the fashion side of it in the UK is <laughs> it's all <laughs> yes, so campy yeah. and and in stark contrast that that awful outfit that Tia Maria wore it's oh just like at <laughs> uh, tea or coffee tea or coffee yeah. I mean it just looked like it was from Chaplin's or something didn't it and uh, so many of those outfits on that runway that episode just that were disastrous compared to the American ones. <laughs> 
of the good ones are bad. Yeah. And the ones that were the best would have been like the the like mid-range ones in the American version. Yeah, or the worst. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's uh, but but I I quite like the fact that it's quite different. I'm wondering that we're not we don't have as many like the like last season in the UK one there were there were quite a few queens which just kind of flourished on their humor really and their quirkiness. Mm. Whereas there doesn't seem to be that many personalities like that in the UK drag race this time round. I don't know. Am I wrong? I can't, yeah, Ginny Lemon would. I'm in love with Ginny Lemon's been brilliant. Amazing. She was brilliant in that Rats mm. musical. Thing. I think she should have won that mm. because I think she was she performed the best, to mm. be honest, because it was really campy and, mm. you know, I just, yeah, I just loved it. But, yeah, I don't know. From from a non TV show perspective, the fact that she is like intelligent, self deprecating, funny, I don't know, like can can sing and perform, and she was a rat with an ear on her back. It's like you know, as as a performer or a host or an entertainer, I'm like you're amazing, or even as a spokesperson for my, for my community. But be- unless you can make nice clothes and look hot on the runway, you can't win. And it's a bit yeah. like reality as a drag performer. That's not the main criteria, actually. Well, I don't even think it's about looking hot. I think it just needs to have a storyline, be interesting and well ex- executed. And it's yeah, it's. Not, I don't think it's all about look, looking sexy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's a different style of drag here. It's like you know the the has to either be either needs to be like female impersonation or needs to be conceptual. Um, either way, needs to be like high end. As it needs to be polished. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also think having watched like I was late to Drag Race, but I've watched all the old ones. Is I feel like in the, before it kind of went mainstream, it definitely felt a bit more like like queer representation for queer people. Whereas I feel like now, especially the US one, feels very much like queers served up for heterosexual entertainment. Yeah. I def- and I can definitely feel that and in a way it feels a bit like it's like the circus and you've got all these drag queens running around performing to be goaded, applauded or laughed at by like a heterosexual gaze which I'm not I've noticed that more now I think and just a bit like oh I'm not totally sure that that's what I want this show to be or for people in my community to feel they have to jump through that hoop in order to reach a certain level of profitability in their career and stuff like that whereas I think like six years ago it felt more like this is cool like RuPaul made something quite radical like this really gay TV reality show but now it's kind of like transitioned into being like well to be profitable we need to really think about the you know particularly straight female audience and not being too risque or or too obscure yeah but but i don't know i I don't know if i necessarily agree with that i still think it's i think it's brilliant i mean if you again in stark contrast to the 80s you know the very fact that we we have a really popular (laughs) reality tv show with queer gay trans Mm. um drag queens on it is amazing 
you know, and I think it's still subversive in many ways. Yeah. Um, but if, if it is made for a straight audience, again, I think that's only a good thing uh, because I think it, it, it kind of makes us more accepting in, in many ways. But I still think we need that underbelly of, of our own culture to be yeah. a little bit ours and not straight. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And the UK version feels more like that to me as well. Yeah. The fact that they gave Ginny like quite an extended amount of screen time to explore and, and share like the non-binary, like their non-binary experience. Yeah. Because in a way you could gloss over that much quicker in the editing process. Yeah. Felt like, oh, we just need to address the fact that they're non-binary, which, and that's, this is what it means. And now move on to the next like funny joke kind of thing. But actually they gave it quite a lot of time and a lot of heart really. So that yeah. was, I think, an element of like proper representation in terms of being non-binary. Definitely. I think it's good. I, I like it. But as you say, it's helping us get through lockdown. Tommy's going to take a photo. Yay. He's, he's sending you a dick pic. Great. <laughs> I mean, it's a very um, invitational scarf around Tommy's waist, I see. I think John needs a wave or something so that we yeah. Are you taking a photo of John? Just yeah, doing. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's all right. No. Uh, uh, well, why don't you sit down there? I've got a wide angle on mine. Oh, yeah, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> Smile, John. Hi. <laughs> I am recording this oh. for my only fan site. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, no, it's it's money. it's automatically recorded. So I don't use them, but I, I maybe I'll use it for a screen grab. Uh, I'm going to use some of your saucy pictures for publicising the episode. Is that okay? Yes. Because I don't think we did that last time. What about my saucy pictures? Well, obviously. <laughs> like a mon- Oh, you should do like um, you know those books where you like flip the head and the body and to make different characters, <laughs> like a cross section, which is like a mix of like Tom, Bernie and John <laughs> it's like Tom's hair Bernie's glasses John's beard although maybe Bernie's beard would be better I don't, I don't know you know <laughs> and so on the way down the body so I'll, I'll provide genitalia when necessary <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well well, I'll do, yeah we'll do something like that <laughs> and also like Tom your hair is looking so gorgeous yeah it's amazing oh, thank you yeah, it's just like, I don't think long hair is going to be on the cards for me anytime soon, but it's, I can feel it's also like going coarse now, whereas yours is looking proper, like, lustrous. and. Well, I've not had it any anyone cut it, really, apart from friends, like, and only trimmed yeah. for a whole year. I'm just taking loads of vitamins for it. Yeah, it's just looking right. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So well done. It, it really suits you. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Because it's it's just like I think it I think it I think it kind of makes you in many ways. And <laughs> I think me having long hair would not make me. <laughs> 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 Although I do look good in a wig, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> My tummy obviously makes me. So and the dad body. <laughs> Anyway, thank you, John. It's lovely to see you. You both as well. I miss you. Hopefully I'll have a... Maybe we'll have an excursion to London again and we can can have lunch outside, al fresco, like we did last summer. Wearing latex gloves and whatever else it takes. 
Well, we weren't doing that in August, were we? No, but we were allowed to then. I, I feel like I'm a bit concerned about what we're going to be allowed to do anytime soon. But, um, but yeah, I'm definitely coming back to Bristol as soon as it's considered acceptable to travel. I think once once this vaccine comes out, I know we're all banking on it, but I think I think it will be so much better. I think we will be there, there's going to be a level of protection there. So I yeah. feel like yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as soon as and and because I'm over fifty and have chronic kidney disease, I think I might get it quite soon. So yeah, um, so it should be. Uh, well, aren't all the vulnerable people meant to be done by mid-February or something? Yeah, I'm not that vulnerable, so I won't be mid-February, but I might be before what other people that have a 51. I'm in group six. Oh, yeah, I have yeah. no idea what group I'm in. <laughs> How many groups are there? Uh, I think nine, and then nine who count as vulnerable, and then it's everyone else after that. And I'm in group yeah. six. So. I'm, probably in, I'm probably in eight or nine. So you know, so yeah. if, you, if you're over, if you've got a, a condition, I think that probably bumps you up a bit. Maybe you're in seven. Who knows? Maybe, but my my condition's got better. So it's because I take loads of Chinese herbs and stuff, and it's got, actually got better than it was. So okay. um, I, I know I get a flu jab, and I've had. I that. think you're in group six actually. Um, because group six is okay. the conditions. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Whereas all the other groups are based on what group. condition? What group? I'm in. Uh, what condition have you got? Well, I've only got sort of mental condition. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I, I would just when when we hit group six, I'll let we'll let you know, and you can just go and tap on that pharmacy door and be like, "No, I'm not on the list," but like mentally, I need to be. And <laughs> I <won't go> away. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but yeah, let, roll on the summer when hopefully it will be better than it is now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. But thank you, John. It was it's amazing to have you back. Yeah, your episode is was like the most listened to in the shortest amount of time that we've ever had. That's good. That's nice. <laughs> you're completely you, your sound is completely different now. Is it different? Yeah. yeah, well a little bit, yes. It's totally, you you're like in, right in my ear now, like you weren't before. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm now like lying on my bed, so I guess I'm, my face is closer to my laptop. Like it feels like you're whispering in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now you're giggling in my ear. <laughs> um, yeah, I think something I've thought about with like shifting from theatre to porn and, and, and which has been a big shift in income as well as like... <laughs> It feels really... Like, I feel like being an artist obviously doesn't really work with, like, capitalism. Um, and that's kind of a really big problem, especially in, in terms of, I think, live performance making. Yeah. And if you make a painting or a pot, it's a bit more easy to be like, I've made this thing and I can objectively say the materials are worth this much money and it will live forever. And now I can add on next to price because I'm famous or I'm dead. Whereas if you make a play or a live performance that can only exist while it's happening, it's like, well, in reality, like watching a show for an hour or two hours is never going to be worth the amount of man hours that were spent making it happen. But at the same time, the art is so important and like has serves you know is profoundly worth way more money like you know a good work a good a good performance a good artist 
is worth so much to like the soul of someone than a yeah. t-shirt <laughs> or a suit um, yeah. and then I find myself now in this like fortunate position where because like porn or my only fans is, is giving me like enough money to live off which doesn't take up that many hours to, to generate that income I can then do other things for free which I guess is kind of like I guess when I was a student that was kind of how I approached making a theatre like I'd work in a pub or whatever and then make plays with my friends in my spare time for the love of it obviously you reach a point in your life where you don't want to just be doing things for the love of it you want to be able to like pay your bills and have nice food and (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally yeah and not have to do something else to 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 juggle that yeah yeah it's a difficult i mean i went fully self-employed last january (laughs) yeah and it was like the worst time to do it but you know i think things will only get better totally yeah it's a bit terrifying to imagine they'll get worse i mean i think they will get worse for some people but i think all that like when things get really bad also like forces invention as well yeah um i think it's really i think it's going to be very sad that lots of queer venues are going to close down and just venues generally but particularly queer venues i care about but I think there's going to be this like incredible renaissance when when nightlife resumes of all these new venues and nights and artists like creating new things out of this like vacuum. But I think that, that's just going to take a while, isn't it? It's it's because yeah, we are we we've lost so many queer venues anyway. Mm. And that that was the other thing uh, with it's a sin because it was it was just remembering there were so many bars and places to go in Bristol. And there, there aren't that many. You know, they're they're yeah. cut in half now. Yeah. Uh, I've got a, I've got this grant from the council to make a show about the disappearance of the gay venues. Oh, good. Mm. And it's also like the disappearance of like the like for gay venues now to survive, they've got to be like based around like dancing. So yeah. and definitely around alcohol. Whereas um my friend shared on Facebook a few months ago it was um this really weird like TV advert, I guess, maybe for like CFAX, not CFAX, but it was like a little kind of like video infomercial of gay venues in London in the nineties, I think. Yeah. Um and it looked very like home footage, but like it showed like a gay restaurant, for instance, and it was much more like, oh, you can pop into this place in the daytime and like have a pint or have a coffee. And actually, there is one venue that opened. Do you remember Spartacus? Do you remember Spartacus? Oh, that magazine. Is that magazine? It was a book. It was a book. Yes. Yeah, but it's still around. Is it? Yeah. Mm. And it's it's a guide of all the gay venues mm. around the world, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like I saw that like in Clone Zone or something like the first time I went in and it was obviously there's probably a lot less venues in there now um, Yeah, it's now a pamphlet But it was interesting I was talking to to Danny it was about two years ago now and I was talking to him about the old venues in Bristol and the different venues that you could go to and he was like where are those safe queer spaces now because we we need them and uh, and I think quan, uh, quans, trans, queer people, quans, I think that's a new word. Uh, and non-binary people kind of need that. They need a safe place to go. And it, it's kind of what um, Joe was doing with um, Thorny 
Yeah. Uh, but there's there's no specific places where you can go and be safe and express yourself. Mm. Um, and it's it's a shame, really, that that like we've we've progressed in so many ways, but technology has kind of taken away the need yeah. for venues. Yeah, there's been a few places start or pop up this year in London, which has been good. There was one called We Exist, which is like a trans cafe. It was a pop up in October. Um, it was like a queer but trans focused cafe and kind of like workshop activist space. Uh, and there's also a new venue, which sounds amazing, called the Zodiac Bar, which is run by a trans woman from Thailand who basically felt so excluded in any kind of mainstream gay venue she went to that she's like I'm opening my own bar uh, and it's called Zodiac because we all have a place in, within the Zodiac astrologically and I think it's very much like a performance space but it's very like I believe very inclusive in terms of being like they want everyone to feel welcome and uh, and like amazingly they opened I think in the summer and they've already like moved into bigger prem- before the lockdown in the most recently into bigger premises because of demand which is great but yeah it would be nice to have like gay cafes again I remember going to to First Out the one that was at King, uh, Tottenham Court Road it was like a gay cafe yeah. there used there used to be like a gay queer cafe bar in Bournemouth bizarrely <clears throat> when I was going down in the late nineties, I think it was called the Hollywood Bar. But you would you could go and hang out during the day, and it was all kind of <clears throat> open. They had chairs on the kind of um, you know on the street, uh, al fresco as well. But yeah, it was it was a really nice kind of vibe, and I think there was a, a couple of places in Brighton as well that were like that. Mm. Um, we've never really had that in Bristol, have we? No, I was just thinking about this cafe that was when I was a student in Leicester I went to this cafe and I met this guy there and I said you know that I was trying to find somewhere to live because I was living in Milton Mowbray at the time and he said oh well you can come and live with me so I lived in this house and then as soon as I moved in there he just became really withdrawn and I had to walk through his bedroom to get to the bathroom and it was really awful Mm, I didn't feel yeah Yeah. felt really uncomfortable and we barely really talked while I lived there and then he sort of sat me down and he said I need to tell you something and I said I need to tell you something as well and he said well you go first and I said well I've actually found somewhere else to live and he said that's fine Um, and then he didn't say what he needed to tell me but it transpired that he was HIV positive Uh and and he actually subsequently died. Um, but, you know, I was just a young student and I didn't really know. I sort of, thinking back to it, I realised that was what was going on, mm. but I didn't have the capacity to to relate to that or to, yeah. to, to deal with that, really. And so I just moved out and got on with my life. And yeah. So he was withdrawn because he was ill or...? Yeah, so yeah. he just he got the diagnosis and then he started to become ill. Oh, God. And yeah. 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 But even if he'd been in good health, I feel like having to walk through your landlord's bedroom to get to the bathroom is. It's not the best. Not yeah. yeah. <laughs> Walking through any. That relationship is. It's not. <laughs> I, 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 I preference. 
<laughs> oh, <God. laughs> no, not at all. Sad though. Yeah, very sad. I think there's so many people. I mean, as like I was saying to you, there were so many <clears throat> colourful personalities that were out in the Bristol gay scene in the like early nineties, but who did just kind of disappear. Mm because they were HIV positive mm. and also we're not we're, we're not very nice to each other sometimes in, in the gay community and I don't I think that wasn't expressed in It's a Sin either about how many gay people were actually quite uh, against people who were HIV positive you know there's mm. a lot of prejudice yeah. about that there was a lot of slut shaming in terms of that mm. uh, and, and a lack of understanding mm. but it was all brought on by fear and lack of knowledge really mm. And actually, I think there's, um, I think that's relatable to like to COVID as well. It's just like, you know, trying to draw a line somewhere and being like, I'm on the right side of the line. So if it's like, oh, there's this gay plague, but I don't have it because I'm, I'm, I'm good. So I'm, yeah, the way for me to like prove my goodness is to like, dismiss you as like a bad gay who's yeah led this like slutty lifestyle when you can keep it in your pants and mm. um yeah and it's coming from like a very defensive and i guess very hurt place but obviously is so unkind to the person who's suffering yeah um, totally yeah and you're right actually they don't explore that they make it very much like everyone's looking after maybe in denial but looking after each other yeah and that- i think there is a bit of that because he has that he has that boyfriend, doesn't he? The central one. And then he just excludes him. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He rejected but then that, but that was fear because he knew that, I mean, he knew that he had, like his, his partner had HIV and he'd yeah. probably given it to him. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. It's uh, Back then it was all very psychological and mm. yeah, but just, it, I mean, it affected everyone. Like whether you had HIV or not, psychologically it just affected you. Mm. Because even if you didn't have it, sometimes you thought you did, mm. and and that then affects everything. Because um, yeah, I don't know. It was such a it was a terrible time. It's like after watching the first episode, I was so in two minds about whether to completely mm. to, to finish the actual series. But then I just last Monday I just went okay I'm just going to watch the rest of this mm. I'm going to watch the next episode and then I ended up watching all of it yeah and I think that, even for us or for, like for you guys in the 90s and me in the noughties it was like process of having sex involved having to think about HIV like yeah. every time there yeah. some straight friends who were starting to have sex in school at like 14 or 16 or whatever that just wasn't I think they knew HIV existed but like it, it had you know all they were thinking about was not getting pregnant yeah and it's like such a the fact that like as you know a, a young gay man coming into your sexuality it's like okay so you know I'm now fe- realising I'm attracted to boys and I want to touch them and I want them to touch me but I know that there's this dangerous thing out there that oh. could get me like I think just having that in your kind of like knowledge is yeah it was a huge yeah. weight over you uh, hanging over you in and th- there were loads of times when I was unsafe I mean so I look I look at that I look at that show and I just think, gosh, I could have so easily have been one of those statistics. Yeah. And then, I, and I guess there's a little bit of guilt that you've actually survived it in some respects yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. Like I, I, I feel guilt. I think a, a lot, not a lot. I feel, I feel guilt at times. Like it's a bit like 
you know, I'm very happy and lucky to have HIV and it be not a problem. But then, it, mm. then I feel like one, I've let down people by getting it in the first place. But also, like, how come I get to like get my full life and they didn't? And yeah, but I think it's yeah. quite easy to go down like a, a rabbit hole of neuroses, positive yeah. or negative, if you kind of gr- growing up in that shadow. I've I've always kind of been kind of clued up on HIV, and I've and I I kind of and like I said, I've had I've had boyfriends who were who were positive, like way even in the late nineties, yeah, mm. as well as the noughties, and um, so I've never really had that stigma um, personally, but I know people that do, and I know that people that have, and it's yeah, it's it's just. It's just giving out the information and educating people, really. Yeah, the whole thing. It's uh, it's it, it's definitely. I've, I like the fact that it's made conversations happen. Mm. Well, it's made a lot of conversations happen tonight. <laughs> <laughs> John, lovely to speak to you, and thank you so much for being a guest again. Yeah, no, it's such a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Good night. Good night. We'll see you soon, hopefully. I hope so. Goodbye. Take care, John. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that. I hope you had fun. You maybe want to go back and re-listen to episode 38, because this is technically episode 38A. We hope you've had a good Christmas, regardless of the pandemic. Thank you for all your support over the last couple of years. And we will be back for more What That Old Queen in 2022. Have a great Christmas and a fabulous new year. You have been listening to What That Old Queen, written and presented by Tom Marshman and Bernie Hodges. The show was produced by Bernie Hodges for Hodge Podcasting in 2021. If you have a question for the old queens, or you'd like to be a guest, or you want to sponsor a show and give us lots of money, you can email hello at thatoldqueen.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.